So you know how you keep trying to pitch this idea to me that you want to go to a cabin like in Maine and uh, just the two of us and tell scary stories. Yeah, this, the song that's been stuck in my head for like weeks now. Thanks, TikTok. But you want us to go to this cabin in Maine, just the two of us, and share scary stories around the fire. And I said, hell no, after reading all those no sleep <laughs> stories on Reddit. But I'm here to tell you that after watching this movie, I might be inclined to go because it looks like they have a dope time. For a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For like I was three real fourths, high on them. Yeah. <laughs> for like three-fourths of the movie, it looks like a, an a awesome A fucking time. blast. A blast. So, Beer, wine, coke, pizza, Chris Red. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like they're having a great time. I Yeah. So to be clear, my pitch was just to watch a bunch of spoopy movies. But oh. I would totally be down to just sit around in the fucking dark <laughs> telling spooky stories uh, around the campfire or the fireplace because that's a little more uh, indoors. Yeah. Well, this movie, you know, it, it, it gave you an edge, so you can thank it. Ciao. Ciao. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Scare Me? You mean the one that was recommended to us by yet another friend and fan of the pod, Ryan Lemondola? Yeah, big shout outs to Ryan. Thank you so much for Hi, uh, thank you. recommending this to us because we're going to say it up top. We had a blast watching this as well. We're on a, a roll this yeah, month. Yeah, hot streak. Three weeks yeah. in a row. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's a spoiler. Uh, we love what we're covering next week, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, that's that's good. That doesn't always happen. You guys listen to our uh, episode on I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. So we don't always love. Yeah, it's a bit of a drag sometimes. But, but we did. It's like it's it's a Hanukkah miracle. We, we've been loving all. <laughs> eight, eight wonderful nights of horror. <laughs> <laughs> we've been loving everything that we've been watching lately, which is amazing. I, I, I want to always be positive on this podcast and praise, you know. Up and coming writers and it's directors. a festival of lights in my life. Oh wow! Get it? No. Okay, Hanukkah is the festival of lights. The miracle. I know is, that. Fuck you. So it's a festival of lights of my life. I'm happy. I'm they're lightening my life like the like the oil that lasted. Okay, I just didn't connect the pieces. God, we're telling the story of Hanukkah to you tonight, and that's just gonna happen. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Oh God, it's so depressing. Every Jewish holiday is depressing. <laughs> True. Very true, from what I've heard, but... But, all right, so, yeah, no, this is a lot of fun. Again, thank you, Ryan, so much for recommending this to us. Uh, you've also been on our asses, much like Sibs was about, uh, a little less than Sibs was about Ready or Not, but uh, this is, I, I just had a, an absolute blast watching this last night. I did not get to it this week. I was stupid busy, but... Yeah, it, this was such a, such a fun recommendation, and if... Any of our other listeners out there have other recommendations, feel free to DM us. We love doing them. Like, we, it's fun we want to know us. what you want to hear us talk about. You know, yeah. um, we are here for you, quite literally. <laughs> and if you have sent us a recommendation already, I promise we are getting to them. Yes. We just do one episode a week. So please <laughs> practice some patience with us. We love you. It took months to get to these. So, exactly. So, I'm Nicole. 
I am Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. And yeah, we're going to talk about Scare Me today, uh, starring Aya Cash. Oh, yes. Who we love. Mm-hmm. So Big, big mood. Love, I've loved her for years now. Oh, yeah. And she's wonderful in this. And this is the perfect role for her. So spot on. Like, I said it up top to you. Because yeah. I watched it sometime this week. You watched it last night. Um, yeah. I was, I was just like, you're going to love this. It's going to be Yeah, great. you did my thing this week where you do two watches of every movie. Truth. Truth, truth. What is this? This is some sort of role reversal thing. Mm, well, you now you're the you're the nerd, Tis and I'm the, the cool. I'm the cool girl. <laughs> so we are going to be doing our normal format, and in case you don't know what that is, Topher's gonna take us through who made this thing and give a big shout out to the cast and the crew, and then mm-hmm. I will take us through the plot, and then we will go into a deeper analysis of this film and there's a lot to talk about definitely i'm very excited to talk about this and yeah so take us away tof absolutely so it's a quick one um not as quick as some others this isn't like you know creep where this there's like very, four yeah. people who did it this is a very uh, small cast yeah the in fact the largest portion of the things that i could talk about is the number of fucking producers on this film it is really? one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen people listed as some version of producer on this film. good job babe <laughs> you counted to 15 it's not all, do you want to do it in french like <laughs> do you want to do it in mandarin i'm kidding you're very smart. spanish i speak languages sort of so this was directed and written and directed and written by and also starring Josh Rubin. If you do not know who he is, you will immediately recognize his face if you were on the internet in any time between 2007 and 2015. College humor, right? Yep. Yeah. And Dorkly, which is all the same company. Um, I was a huge fan of his work when I was in college. Um, he's a few years older than I am, but yeah, like it was. You're saying I, you had college humor? I enjoyed the humor of college humor when I was in college, enjoying humor. How spot on. Cha. I mean, College Humor and Cracked developed so much of my like writing style, um, both for comedy and, in fact, for horror, because you, you start following certain writers on these big like sites like yeah. this, and you start paying attention to the creators you love. It's, it's the same thing you do with any sort of medium, right? Totally. But, you know, I, I've talked a lot about how much I appreciate the, the sort of core crew of Cracked. Core crew of Cracked. I did that perfectly. You did, yeah. That was wow. a first take. That y'all. was a first take. <laughs> That's not just easy. Just enough coffee today. <laughs> I'm right in that sweet spot. Yeah. So I've talked about like you know Michael Swaim, who now works for IGN uh, and runs Small Beans, the podcast network, and video and and music and all this stuff. They're in- incredible work. If you can afford to throw them five bucks a month, you get so much content. Daniel O'Brien, who writes for uh, Late Night with John Oliver. Or last week tonight with John Oliver. Nice. Uh, Soren Bowie, who works on American Dad. Uh, Katie Willard, who has had just a a number of credits. Mm -hmm. Um, And just got a new job, and I can't remember what it is, but like Maggie Mae Fish, who's done a bunch of work and was just in a uh, movie with uh, Kevin Pollack, Mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. Like all these people who I find just brilliant. Also, Abe Epperson, uh, who's a great director. Robert Evans, who's an incredible journalist, like all of these people are like big, big deals and and taught me so much about writing, even though I've never met any of them. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. So. College humor was the same thing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, there was obviously Jake and Amir, who everybody knows now, um, and they run uh, the HeadGum mm-hmm. podcast network. Uh, really fucking brilliant people. Um, they started and run it. Um, fucking brilliant comedians. And they had the show Jake and Amir and a couple other shows that they wrote on College Humor. Josh Rubin was another one of these. Mm-hmm. It was just all over. And like someone whose work I was just constantly, constantly familiar with. Yeah. And just like the way that he wrote jokes and... 
it, it makes sense. And I've talked a lot about how comedy and horror are essentially the same thing. It's just where you put the turn mm-hmm. and what that what form that turn takes, yep. right? And a lot of times they blend, like this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Raimi would be another person who would like. That's who I would compare him to in sort of his joke telling style when it yeah. comes to horror, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of he's not as zany as Raimi is, yeah. But it's in that same vein, right? It's not yeah. Joss Whedon; it's it's more Sam Raimi. I got you. Anyway. So, <laughs> so this movie. Yeah, well, I, I, that's what I, I was. I wanted to talk about him for a while because there's not there's not a lot of information on the production of this. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd just put it all kind of up top. Yeah, um, it's been very very difficult to find any like good production notes mm-hmm. about this. Uh, it's so new. It just came out. Like, yeah, it just came out a few months ago. And if you guys want to check it out, it's definitely on Shutter. Yeah, and thank you to Shutter. It's a Shutter original. Uh, yeah, technically speaking. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they were the the final distributing producer on this. Uh, same as. Uh, for La Llorona, which we're going to be covering soon. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah, so they picked these up ahead of Sundance. Um, that was how this movie got put out. Mm-hmm. So it was on It was on track to go to Sundance already. Uh, Shutter buys the distribution rights and gets the credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, taking it over the finish line, um, which is important. It, it, money matters for whatever reason um, it does. Yeah. So that's, uh, he's also the star, like I said, Josh Rubin is as Fred. Mm-hmm. Or I guess one one of our leads. Yeah. It also stars Aya Cash, who you would know most recently from The Boys. Right. Um, but probably she, most famously from uh, You're the Worst. Yes. Yeah. In which she is fucking amazing. Yeah. She's such a good... She's so good at being a lead that cuts down the other lead. That's why she's so good in, in this. I mean, I, I almost feel like they created this character around her. And also she just... She commits. She just goes there. Yeah, it definitely feels like Josh Rubin wrote this with her in mind. Yeah. We also have Chris Redd, a former SNL cast member. Uh, They did him fucking dirty, and it's stupid, but I fucking love him. Yeah, he Uh, plays the pizza guy. Yeah. Which Uh, is really fun. Carlo. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Aya Cash's character's name is Fanny. Yeah. Fanny Addy. What the fuck is a Carlo? (laughs) It's probably my favorite line of the film. (laughs) What the fuck is a Carlo? Um, Also, her name, Fanny Addy. Yeah. What? It's very fun. <laughs> uh, and then the other, only other character we really have in this is uh, Rebecca Drysdale as Bettina, uh, the driver who is in the first and last scenes of the film uh, as Fred's driver to and from the airport to the cabin. Looking like a young Kathy Bates, acting yeah. <laughs> like a young Kathy Bates. But like, like a, a, a Kathy Bates, a young, well, a, like an Annie Wilkes, right? Yeah, or like uh, when she when she plays that the squirrel lady in uh, Rat Race. I always I keep bringing up Rat Race. Oh on my the god! Show. Hey, you know what? It's a great movie. She reminds me of it. you know just that that version of Kathy Bates. <laughs> Kathy Bates contains multitudes. I'm not trying to put her in a box, but she'd fight like hell to not be in there. That's what I'm saying. Has so. her whole career. Yeah. Um. So you would know her from she was in the writers' room from Key and Peele. Nice. Uh, she was from 2012 to 15. She wrote on High Maintenance. Uh, she's been writing. I love High Maintenance. I and I, I really want to. Um, I've been trying to, but I just, I, just, I, it doesn't click for me. I don't know what it is. It's okay. It happens. Yeah, just some things don't always work for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But she's been writing uh, all that, the reboot of all that on Cute. Nickelodeon. Love that. Um, she wrote for Baskets, which is one of my favorite shows, uh, and that big gay sketch show. Cool. And then, yeah, she's been, um, she was in a few seasons, a few episodes of Arrested Development, most recent episode of Arrested Development. Uh, she was in an episode of Transparent. Obviously, she played a few pieces on Key and Peele because she was in the writer's room. Um, and she's from, she's from UCB is where you would like 
Gotcha. That's where she sort of came up through. And she's got a very UCB sort of thing going on, which I really, I don't mean that as a uh, a shot. I like her. Yeah. As a, I like her version of UCB. So that's the cast. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into all the producers. Like I said, there's 15 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we did talk about the music while we were watching this together last night uh, for your second time and my first. Uh, so it was done by Elegant 2. Um, it, it has two different people listed, but it's the members of Elegant 2. Got it. Uh, Chris Maxwell and Phil Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have, you've heard their music, if, even if you don't know who they are. Um, they're the composers for Bob's Burgers. There we go. <laughs> um, <and even laughs> Drop Saint- that mic, baby. That's yeah. all I needed to know. Yeah. Uh, St. Vincent actually covered one of their songs from Bob's Burgers. Oh, the song so Bad cool. Girls. Yeah. She's yeah. so cool. Um, he's written for Inside Amy Schumer. Uh, uh, he wrote for No Reservation. They're, sorry. They wrote for Inside Amy Schumer, No Reservations, Malcolm in the Middle, Whitest Kids You Know, Important Things with Dimitri Martin. Uh, Sex in the City, Silver Linings Playbook, Hot Fuzz, and Michelle Gondry. Oh my God, like they've they've their art is everywhere. Um, I'm still starstruck by the Bob's Burgers thing, though. <laughs> That's number one for me. My favorite is that they did a collaboration with Jonathan Colton, who's this really great experimental uh, singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the music for Portal and Portal Two. He's incredible, and I love him so much. <laughs> dope, dope, dope. Uh, let's see. Other ones I wanted to shout out, uh, obviously cinematography, because we loved the cinematography in this. It's very, very clever. Good. It's clever cinematography. It's not the best I've ever seen, but it's very, very clever. Especially in this medium, because, I mean, the the, the short the short end of it is... The premise is they're telling they're telling scary stories and they're kind of they're almost doing like a writer's workshop because they are both writers. Um, And so in order for this movie to remain visually stimulating and interesting, you have to kind of have, you know, some sort of clever cinematography. So honestly, bravo, because did a great job to keep something that is between two and then three characters in one setting. Yeah. Engaging is not, not easy an easy in thing. a small setting too. Very small little cabin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he's another person who came up through the college humor sort of vein, um, nice. directed a bunch of their originals mm-hmm. or sorry, a uh, cinematographer for a bunch of the originals. I think he directed some of them too. Um, yeah, he did. And also hardly working. Mm-hmm. He has worked before with Josh Rubin, for TK630, a Star Wars fan film, mm. which has been on my list. I need to find it and watch it. It's just one of those things like I have on my list of shit to watch. But it's very <laughs> which long. Is, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Brendan H. Banks was the, the cinematographer there, and he I, I like him a lot. Um, I think he's a really clever, clever cinematographer. And again, it comes from working on a budget. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the reason I like a lot of the work that happened on Cracked, because they were working on shoestring budgets to shoot the stuff they wanted to shoot, and they were ambitious because right. they're clever, ambitious people. That's who you hire to write your comedy websites. Yeah. And you get really great stuff. And sometimes they break out and make movies like this. Mm-hmm. Another thing we also really loved was the film editing. The actual editing of the of the, of the movie. That was yes. Patrick Lawrence. Uh, again, he's another person who kind of came up through just various different, um, like, just very, very uh, from the indie realm. Um, he's pretty new, too. His first credit is from 2011. Um, he's got a bunch of shorts in here. Probably don't know his work. Um, unless you've watched like Bonding or The Incredible Life of Daryl. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he's 
I thought the incre- I thought the editing was absolutely super fucking dope. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, again, it, editing matters when you're doing a very tight movie. Oh yeah, when you're doing a bottle episode, right? For sure, I feel like the cinematography and the editing work hand in hand yeah. to create a stimulating atmosphere here. Yeah. Um, so, who did the uh, sound design, or was it also who did the music? No. So, sound the sound department was a really great mix of people. Um, Sean Brennan as the Foley artist, which the Foley in this movie. Fuck. That's me. why I wanted to get to this. I was I was very I was anticipating it just because it's probably one of my favorite parts about this movie. Yeah. So Sean Brennan was a Foley artist, and Tommy Stang was the uh, editor and mixer for Foley. Bravo. And then Incredible. John Moros was the designer and supervising editor. Yeah. Um, cool. For their sound. Um, it this this sound department just fucking perfect. Yeah, it just makes this movie would not have been good. I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been good without the sound department. It and was that's a really weird thing to cool. Say. No, they did. They did a lot. They went. They they went for it. <laughs> I and feel like they were given like just carte blanche. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of direction from the script, mm-hmm. but that goes in and out. Same yeah. with the 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 cinematography and the film editing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like cues that they try to throw in in the script and sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't. And I love that. And we can get into what that means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed like it, it's something where a lot of times you don't want to notice the sound or the editing. It's usually a bad thing. If you do, this, this is, is one. Exception. Yeah, this is yeah. the exception. Um, absolutely. This is the exception. Uh, exception. Yeah, and I I wonder, when I was watching it, I was wondering how much of it was scripted and how much of it was improvised by the actors. So what I know about Josh Rubin's work is that he definitely leaves room for improvisation. Like, I've I've talked before how, like, I write. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this to say that, like, I'm such a comparable writer to all these people and, like, sounding like a, a clout chaser or, like, a jealous person. What I mean to say is that there's a certain style of writing that I think a lot of people who come from more indie worlds and less educated worlds mm-hmm. so to speak like i don't have a fucking master's in screenwriting i don't have any yeah. degree in screenwriting yeah um or creative writing anything like that i've taken classes i've done this and that but mostly i just have done the fucking work right yeah so a lot of people are the same way right like you just do you just keep doing work and a consistent sort of theme that runs through that is that you don't write important dialogue mm-hmm. you write dialogue as a sort of framework yeah not mumblecore, but to be like uh, uh, creep, Duplass, Mark Duplass. Yeah, uh, Mark Duplass writes mumblecore, right? Like when he writes a script, it is fully just like he says where A and B are, mm-hmm. and it's up to the actors to decide how to get there, right? Which is more a little more like like D and D, right? Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Yeah. The way I write is that I have a script. Like you've read my scripts, you, you've mm-hmm. seen what they look like. It's it is dialogue. It is mm-hmm. a fully ri- written out conversation. Yeah. But I am not tied to any of those things. I once in a while will say, "Hey, I really like this line. Deliver this line for me." Yeah. But I don't when I'm when I'm directing something I've written, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when some people's work, that's that's not really always my call to make. Mm-hmm. That's why I like to know the writer if I'm working on their work, so I can be like, "Hey, am I allowed to like fuck around with this?" Right. But. Yeah, I, that's from what I can tell, that's the way he writes. Like, coming out of this like sort of more improvisational world. Yeah. Especially like oh, so much of comedy is That's not what I was thinking. That, you know, they thinking about his background, I was that's why I was curious. So yeah, the last last few things I know we've been going long on the production up top, but you know, cool things to shout out and things to talk about. 
Production companies were Artist First, Irony Point, and Last Rodeo Studios. Uh, distribution, as I said earlier, was from Shudder. Shout out Shudder. We love you. Mm-hmm. Original release was at Sundance this year, uh, January 24th. Uh, but of course, didn't pick up in distribution until, or it wasn't actually like widely distributed to the rest of the United States via Shutter on October first, two thousand and twenty. Uh, yeah, the 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 runtime is not like super long, but it is on the longer side for something like this. Uh, a little over a hundred minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So about an hour and forty, um, with credits. So yeah, that's everything I've got to say about who did this damn thing. Cool. So time for plot, babies. Okay. This is a fun plot. It is. It's very fun. Not a lot happens, but a lot does, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, it, like the, the sort of structure of it is like meta narrative plus yeah. vignettes, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a really engaging way to do this. So mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, it's like doing an anthology without doing an anthology. Precisely. So we've got Fred played by Josh Rubin. We learn that he is a uh, struggling actor and writer uh, who has scheduled a retreat for himself of isolation in a cabin. It's every writer has done this. I was going to say, it's like very a, cliche. If you have like a, like a 50 bucks laying around, you can get a cheap cabin for a night and just like try and knock out a story. Yeah. I respect it, but it is very cliche, but it, that just must mean it works. I don't know. <laughs> um, so we, this is where we meet Bettina. She mm-hmm. is his driver. Yeah. He's like trying to nap in the car. And she's, she gives us a really funny, like if you, if you want to nap, you can. And then he's like, great thanks and then she's like so what do you do (laughs) (laughs) i'm a writer myself this is why i never tell the second i leave new york city i do not tell anybody what i do it's almost more fun that way (laughs) you can just create a whole new identity oh i love lying people on airplanes yeah why not what are you doing there um i do xyz i am a scientist (laughs) i'm a word scientist i am a scientist i am a fabric scientist that's a real thing. Is it? Yeah. I just put two words together, but good to no, know. No, if you're like a chemical engineer, that's what you do. Oh, tight. So I learned something new today. And uh, so so Bettina's driving him to the cabin. She drops him off. Um, he goes for a run because he's got a little bit of writer's block. And he... Werewolves have guns. Get revenge? <laughs> it's Amazing. the only notes he has on this entire Word document. We're also getting right up top when he gets to the cabin just some like creepy shit we've got like some knocking on the doors and 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 he kind of is looking at it he's got like a knife and it, we get all, all of these just like moments where yeah, we're yeah. like okay he's fucking around trying to get himself in the zone like he's he grabs like, a knife does the jack yeah. torrance impression yeah we've got we've got some weird moments here but it's but it's cool it's you know it's setting us up for like what the fuck's happening yeah so he goes for a run and this is where he meets fanny who's played by aya cash um, and he quickly learns that she is also a writer, a writer mm-hmm. of horror, and she wrote Venus, and Venus is apparently huge. Yeah, it's just huge. become a best-selling yeah. novel, and it's like, we find out later like how many different rave reviews it's gotten. Yes, so very successful. Everyone knows what this book is, even mm-hmm. if you don't read horror. So that's how like famous it is. And yeah, she's being set up as like a new like sort of Stephen King. Yes. Yes. Very highly praised. And she's staying in a nearby cabin and she's she's very she's very unimpressed by Fred. Yeah, the, he's just a lame ass. Yeah. And she's just kind of like, uh, OK, like, bye, dude. Uh, good luck. 
And they go their separate ways, but then there's a huge thunderstorm that knocks out the power, and we get this awesome moment of like Fanny being like, "Hey, it's scaring the shit." You got yeah, yeah, like coming up to the window. Um, they ended up they end up just like drinking some wine together. Fanny uh, decides to challenge Fred to tell her a, a scary story. She's like, "I'm bored. Let's you know." Let's, yeah, let's, you're a writer. Let's write. Let's and it's like she it. asks him about his story, and he's like. He tells her basically the same thing that he told us earlier yeah. that we saw on his screen. And she's like, that's not a story, bro. That's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So. You've got a premise. That's it. Yeah. A- so, that it's like, it's nice to call it a premise. <laughs> yeah. So she kind of is like, come on, dude. I need details. I need this. I need that. Like, you know, she's really egging him on here and eventually gets him to the place where he actually starts telling a story. Mm -hmm. Um, The story is about a young boy who saw his parents killed by a werewolf and grew up to take to take revenge. And this is where we get all of the cool sound effects. And he does some good voice acting. Mm -hmm. We get some really fun, fun stuff here. And then. Fanny, of course, is like, well, why why are you writing this story about, uh, like, what if Sam was a girl? And, he, and and we get into this whole situation where she's like, it's so boring. You're writing about, like, a white man. Yeah. Like, what so, what if Sam was a girl? I'm writing from personal experience. Oh, your personal experience of, being, of your parents being murdered by a werewolf in front of you? Incredible. Incredible. So. As we said often on this podcast, it's fucking fiction, bro. Yeah. You, you can you do. You can stretch a little bit. And that's really what um, Fanny's getting at. She's like, come on, use your imagination. Mm-hmm. Don't just write about like, yeah. So Fred challenges Fanny right back. He's like, he's, he's like, well, if you're this critically acclaimed writer, like, why don't you tell me what you've been writing about in your cabin in isolation this whole time? Yeah. And gives her so much shit for like not telling him what she's working on. Well, she's like, she's like, absolutely not. I will. I will tell you a different story, though. But he um, wants to hear Venus or he wants to hear like what she's working on. And she's, he's like, what did you sign an NDA? She's like, yes, actually several. Yeah. Which is what happens when you sign a contract. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure she's under all this pressure after yeah. having a huge book. There's almost more pressure. Yeah. She doesn't want a sophomore slump. Yeah. So instead, she improvises a story about a young girl who attempts to kill her creepy grandfather, but kills his dog instead. And so the little girl is haunted by the old man and the dog and the dog after uh, both of their deaths. So then they decide to order pizza or I should say Fanny decides to order pizza. Yeah, just stops her story before it's even truly done. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) she's like, I'm and it's so funny, the little cuts and digs that she takes at him Mm -hmm. um, because she's like. She's like, mm, I'm going to order pizza and like grabs his phone. And when she's ordering it, she orders half half veggie. And then she's like half, I'm guessing cheese. Like because he's plain <laughs> like she she takes like little tiny digs at him, which are yeah. kind of amazing. Um, but I like cheese pizza, too. Um, it is delicious. Yeah. And the cheapest. Yep. So then she sees all these text messages and like a phone call from who we learn is his ex-wife mm-hmm. um calling him a monster so you know she's like what's going on there and fred eventually admits that he's kind of feels like he's floating like he's searching for purpose right after uh since since the uh since his wife left left him he had like a mental breakdown and he threatened to kill her yeah like he says like he wrote her like hundreds or like a bunch of letters and hundreds of phone calls and texts and, and he tries to play it off as like as like you know when you're like really upset with someone you're like i'm gonna kill you and i cash is like 
No. Yeah, I've never like, done that. It doesn't usually get to that. Right. Like yeah. that's not where where if you love someone or you're a stable person, like where that goes. Yeah, it, it's what well, we see her writing in the notebook too. Like she's taking a break. She's smoking yeah. a little CBD pen and yada, yada, yada. But it's it. He tells the story in a certain way that is justifying his actions and taking credit for them to a degree. But well, this is like a this is like a classic abuser tactic of like, yes, here's all the bad things I did, but I'm working on myself. Well, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say that in when he first talks about this story, he says that there was another man. He says that there may have been. There may have been or whatever, another man. But then later in the movie, an early spoiler, sorry. um, Later is coming no matter what. That's what I'm saying, just a little earlier. At the end, when he's kind of recapping, Mm -hmm. he says he admits to cheating on her. Yeah. The stories like didn't really line up, but I mean, maybe both happened. It's kind of one of those like weird. Yeah. Which one is, which one is, which which one is true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I want to talk about that a lot more getting into them. So he doesn't even really have his own story straight. Maybe. I don't know what's going on there. We can dissect it. Let's dissect that later. Yeah. That's definitely something to dive into. Um, So, after ordering the pizza and Fred has his little freak out. It's going to take they, an hour, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's she's like, okay, yay, pizza. Um, and so, uh, oh, he also he also says that there's a, uh, there's a restraining order. An order of protection. <laughs> well, and Ayakash is yeah. like, isn't that the same thing? And, and they're he's, not technically. But he's like, yeah. no. Um, which maybe it's not, but still. They're not, uh, but it's, they're, they're, it's just degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a matter of degree. That's Got the it. only difference. Yeah. Got it. Him saying no, they're different, uh, is him admitting it without admitting. It's admission without admission that they are not the same thing, but yeah, it's 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 a matter it's an order of magnitude. Not an order of magnitude. It's a or it's a matter of degrees. Got it. Like murder one, murder two sort of thing. I learned another thing today. Oh damn, um, I'm filling you up. You're not gonna be able to learn things for a few days. I know, right? I just can't take it. My brain. My God. Um, my little brain. (laughs) God damn it. I can't even joke. I have a big brain. I have a very big brain. So Fred and Fanny then, while they're waiting on this pizza, since it's going to take like an hour, um, they collaborate on a story that's about a troll who lives in the walls of an edible arrangement store. So Baskets that can be eaten. (laughs) Baskets that can be eaten for copyright purposes. Arrangements that... Are edible. They, they, they do all these like clever like workarounds that are very cute. Yeah, agreed. So in this story that they collaborate on, uh, the troll that lives in the walls of an edible an edible arrangements store entices a put upon secretary to murder her sleazy boss in exchange for three hundred years of life. But then they're interrupted by Carlo. What the fuck is a Carlo? <laughs> the pizza delivery man. <laughs> and um, Fanny basically invites Carlo. He's like. You look like a fellow who well, he does a like creepy story real quick. Stories. He's like, oh, be a great. It's like a perfect setup for me to just like murder the both of you, and I've got a conveniently placed car, and I've got reasons to be other places. Yeah, <laughs> and then he had, and then he realizes who Fanny is and admits, you know, that he's a big fan. Well, yeah, because Fred like blows up her spot. 
Yeah. She wanted it to be chill and Fred it's makes like, it oh, like, you're lucky because she was just about to tell us her award or um, critically acclaimed story and best-selling book, Venus. And she's like, oh, well, actually, I was thinking that since Carlo's our guest, he should be the one who decides who tells the next story and what it's about. And then he <laughs> has a great moment. He's like, I want to be about babies. Dead like, babies. Like dead babies. <laughs> and it's a musical. And he was like, he was going on about, and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's so good. Like he, Chris Red is such a good improviser and he's so fucking clever and he plays characters like no one else. I loved, I loved his, uh, cameo in this yeah he's, he's in it for only about half an hour or not even no it's like 10 minutes maybe 15 at most i guess it just feels really long because they're doing a lot of cocaine they are doing a, and that's exactly how cocaine feels i don't know that from personal experience for legal reasons but i have heard i have um, heard that it's like you're that doing a lot goes. and just time is like not there yeah um, it's also just to point out this is Fred's shit is just like a mediocre man trying to undermine a very like well accomplished woman of course and i will certainly talk about that later because my name is nicole oh and i guess i should note that fred does not do cocaine he's like oh you guys don't want to see me on cocaine and they're oh, like no, he okay. ends up doing it though he takes he? a line yeah he takes a line oh i guess they I, look they had that look at each other like fanny and carlo are like mm-hmm. oh i guess i just mo- forgot about it's that, that part. moment of like the douchey guy's like whoa i who has no idea what coke is yeah. right like it's a strong fucking cup of coffee um yeah and it's it is not what people think it is. Don't do cocaine. It's highly addictive. It's it can very much ruin your life. Uh, but I will say that it is not like people mythicize it so much to make it seem like it's some big fucking deal. It's gone in forty five minutes. Yeah. Like not only physically gone, but like basically out of your system. Yeah. Like you're not. St- it's not like you're not taking mushrooms. You're not smoking weed. Like you're not gonna be like in this state. Right. For hours on end, unless yeah. you keep doing blow. Well, and that's so why it's that's so the, addictive yeah. because it just goes so quickly and yes. you're, you know, all yeah, of it's, that. It's taking shots as opposed to like having a long drink. Yeah. Right. But that's why it's funny. Like it's such a knowing thing of like the two of them looking at each other like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then he, the next cut is him doing a line. Got it. I guess I, maybe I looked away since it happened so quickly. No, no, no. Um, sorry. I'm not trying to sh- sh- shit on you. I just, it was a moment for me where I was like, oh, yep, that, the people who wrote that line know everything about people who act like they're going to be a monster on cocaine. Right. So, so after, after Carlo and Fanny do cocaine, they, they end up reenacting the story of Venus for Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, Hilarious. So good. And Fred is not amused. I'll just say that right now. Yeah. Um, well, he's getting I, deep in the hole too. Well, I have more. I I I have more to say about it, but for now, I'll just say he does not look amused on yeah. his face. His face is not amused. I did love so, this shot sequence, though. I thought it was really oh, well yeah. done. Um, just like the cuts are really well done. <clears throat> you only get snippets of dialogue because this is you know they're they're writing around a story they haven't written. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was like when we watched Prom and they're talking about the the plot of some musical that doesn't exist in the real world but does exist in this world. Exactly. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that like sort of shot sequence and it keeps cutting to Fred who's like sweating and pounding beers and he's like deep in this mixing alcohol and cocaine. Not the best idea. Uh, and he just is like sitting there and like getting deeper and deeper into the chair. Yep. Like his physicality. It's well acted by Josh Rubin too, but it also, you know, shots and... And the shot and the acting playing together in really nice ways. 
Uh, It's all intermingled and stuff like that. And he's just like getting sweatier and like bigger eyes. And like there's a sequence after where they're trying to talk to him and he's not totally sure what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's also just getting upset that she's quote. He thinks that she's flaunting her success in his face, which is what I'm going to get into later. I'm refraining from doing it now because I have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Um, But that's basically what is going on in it's implied. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, there's two things happening there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but he's the one who keeps asking her to do it. Right, Venus. yeah, he's been begging her to do it. Yeah. yeah. So, because cl- clearly he's a masochist. Um, so Fred, then after Venus is finished, uh, Fred proposes an idea for a story about a singer who makes a deal with the devil to perform on something like American Idol. Um, for legally distinct reasons, not. <laughs> so they call it something different. Yeah. Uh, but but the singer is possessed and forced to sing about widespread murder. And suicide. And suicide. Kill yourself, kill the babies, kill your family, kill everybody. It's, it, <laughs> it's if, a great If YouTube song. autotune was still a thing, <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. Um, so then Carlo is like, after they do this whole story, um, and it's a wonderful scene where Ayakash is like singing about like, yeah, kill, kill the babies, kill everybody, a, kill your it's kind of a like, really good song too like i would that song yeah. slaps <laughs> yeah it's a it's a good pop song and so then carlo's like oh man i should have had this hawaiian pizza at this place like two hours ago i gotta go like they're gonna be pissed <laughs> and they're like no carlo is what fanny says but mm-hmm. then he asks like for her autograph great decision moment here in the acting too where carlo's like Nope, I'm not going to do it. Yes, I fucking am. Can I get your autograph? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cute. So then Fanny uh, goes to the bathroom and she's like, she's like, whew, I got like the cocaine shits. And <laughs> post coke defecation. <laughs> yeah, that that is verbatim what she says. Um, and then when she comes out, she's like, whoo, don't go in there. Yeah. And then so while she's in there, Fred is reading Fanny's notebook and obviously gets pissed. Um, and she's been writing down all of their stories and he thinks that, you know, she's taking all the ideas and shit and taking note on, on notes on him and his inability to accept that she's the better writer. He's drunk and he's angry. He confronts Fanny with the fire poker, which has been a huge Yeah, it's been playing through. Yeah, in it's, it's, a che- it's Chekhov's poker. Yeah, totally. So then Fanny is like, you know, she goes off on this whole completely earned monologue about like i'm a female horror writer you don't think that people have stolen from me constantly yeah so she goes on this whole thing and she's, she's a just great line where she's like that she says that and then she's yeah. like you know what i do i fucking write more i was about to say yeah, i was about to say like she says to him like why don't you do something do the fucking work do the work i'm doing the work that's why i have a notebook that's why mm-hmm. i read every like i'm doing the work constantly that's why i'm successful yeah you want success handed to you and i am doing the fucking work yeah it calls him out for saying that she, he thinks that she's been had everything handed to her she's like no i do the fucking work You're not doing the work and you want it handed to you. Yep. So you accuse me of that, but you're not doing the fucking work. Exactly. So she's demanding uh, for him to give her 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 notebook back. And he he chases her around the house. He still has the poker. But during the chase, he trips down the stairs and impales himself with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's he's bleeding and, you know, in pain. And then he begs Fanny to kill him and put him out of his misery. She grabs a log from the fireplace and and raises it, but ultimately uh, decides to put it down and leaves the house, which just leaves Fred to bleed out. Bettina 
shows back up the next morning to grab Fred, you know, driver doing her job. Mm-hmm. And she finds Fanny's notebook, which I don't know why Fanny didn't take the notebook. She was freaked out and just like wanted to I be out of guess she yeah, yeah, I guess she just, you know, didn't think about it. Because I was wondering about that when the when the film ended. I was like, oh, did she take her notebook? Because I'm thinking about like, oh, she's going to get caught. Her DNA is everywhere. Like, oh, but maybe she can right. get out of this because it looks like an accidental death. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We, we leave we leave here on a little bit of a cliffhanger, but it's fine. Um, so so Bettina is, is hilarious, just like walking around this uh, cabin. And she's like, wow, someone had a good time in here. Eats, you know, day-old pizza and just shoves it in her mouth. Just and, munching on it, calling for him. Yeah. And Fred, then... I took some pizza. It's and already then, got bites out of it, too. Yeah. And she's just like, you know, completely oblivious to yeah. the corpse on the stairs. Yeah. And... Then we get then we get the credits, but there's a mid credit scene that reveals that Bettina wrote the stories in the notebook because if you remember, if you recall from the first scene, she says she's a writer too. Mm-hmm. So, um, she's now a famous author. Yeah, it's her debut book, and it's called Scare Me, and it's werewolves, grandpas, and other stories. Yeah. So she. Uh, sorry. So she. Uh, Took the ideas from from a from both of them and 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 got famous off of them, which good for Bettina. Which good for you, Bettina. It's her ticket out. She doesn't have to drive assholes again. Yeah, get hopefully. your bag, girl. Get your bag, girl. So, I guess we can start off talking about like um like the reviews of, of this movie. Yeah, how it was received and everything generally. Yeah. So people were not big big fans of it. Uh, it's it's rated kind of low some places it's got at 82 percent on rotten tomatoes but rotten tomatoes is garbage it's rotten it sure is <laughs> uh <laughs> ha, 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 we are funny <laughs> so the 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 negative reviews of it basically all focus on it being neither horror nor camp and not not being a successful horror film Okay, I understand how maybe you wouldn't get what you thought you were signing up for with this film, but I kind of like the surprise of it. And maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just from where where I'm coming from with, like, if you've literally listened to 20 seconds of any of our episodes, you know that I'm extremely character-based. Yes. Um, after you know, being an actor and all of that, um, that's the shit that I appreciate. And, Mm -hmm. and also, also I appreciate something not being what I expected. Um, I thought this definitely, I, I didn't really know what to expect aside from the premise of it. I didn't know how they were going to do this at all. Yeah. Um, and here's what I'll say about, that regardless of whether you think that this is an a successful horror film or not the thing that they developed here is very strong and engaging between what we already covered with the cinematography and the editing and the sound design and the music apart from that the work that's done by um Aya Cash and um John Josh Josh Rubin right mm-hmm. okay I'll take that again um the work that's done by Ayakash and Josh Rubin is pretty enticing and here's why I one of my uh on camera teachers mm-hmm. said to me whenever you're in a scene with someone else regardless of who it is you need to make 
the audience should feel like, are they going to kiss or are they going to kill each other? Yeah, the kiss, yeah, kiss or kill. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty standard. And in this movie, you're thinking both at all yes. times. You are uh, thinking both at all times. And, and we get explicit moments of both. Yes. And that's what drew me to this movie so much because the suspense is in their relationship. Who's going to kill right. who first or who's going to are they going to fuck? Are they going to, you know, is this like a Kiss fuck, or kill, a, fuck or fight. a yeah. hate fuck or yeah. is this going to like where is this relationship going to go? And I think that for me personally that's what really grabbed me was this like this push and this tug of war of power that Aya Cash is winning most of the time. Oh yeah. Because she's shoving a big old mirror up to this guy and showing him all of his shortcomings. Yes. And so there's a lot of energy behind that. And that's exactly why I think this was successful. The suspense is between the characters, not any outside force. Yeah. Um, and to be, to make a finer point here, uh, this is when we talk about fuck or fight, kiss or kill, that is not for two uh, cisgendered folks of no. what we would call opposing genders. But like, the, fuck that phrasing, but you know what I mean, of your your standard cis-hetero narrative. That's not what that's about. No, 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 It should exist no, between no. all characters at all times. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's an idea of like, okay, collaboration or competition is probably the more easy way to put it, but the, the really like tight points or like the the... Fast, easy, yes. quick, and dirty version of it is kiss, kill, fuck, fight. Yes. Thank you for clarifying because absolutely. I mean, I just also watched the Queen's the Queen's Gambit. Um, also, not not like a perfect uh, series, I will say, but enjoyed it. And there's this there is this uh, French woman who who comes onto the onto the scene here, and I was wondering that the whole time between her and um, Anya Taylor Joy's character. Right. So I'm 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 not assigning it to any sort of cisgendered uh, heteronormative ness. Yeah. It it literally can happen between to anybody anybody it's it's just called dynamic tension like yeah. that's it and that's, and that's what, what you you're mean. trying to write and that's, that's what, what you're trying to act that's yeah. what creates a good scene is mm-hmm. is is having the audience wonder what's going to happen yeah and those are just the two most intense emotions is like right. i want to kill this person or i want to fuck this person yeah and then yeah. it takes on different shades from there yep. right this is that you're we're talking about broad 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 but if the tension techniques. is there people will pay attention and exactly. that's that is what i'm getting at with this scenario that we're in here yeah and it's different than will they won't they which is annoying no that's, that's not that, that's like a tug of war thing totally different like, yeah uh j- just making yeah, distinctions for the production like from how things are made yeah um and at least especially good things are made so there, there was a really good article from kate erbland at indywire mm-hmm. um that really that the biggest point she makes is about the uh the the runtime that yeah. she feels it was padded. And I, I'm not 100% opposed to that that notion that it is a little too... It's not even the runtime. The pacing is a little off at times. That's fair. Story structure in this was fantastic. Yeah. I thought it was really well scripted that way. It is a it has a few little pacing issues here and there. Yeah. Um, where I think, yeah, it, she's not wrong that it takes a little too long to get to some things. I would agree with that. Yeah, there you maybe could have even done with like one less story it's not even the story it's it's like the in-betweens how long the right. interstitials take right so like if we're thinking about this as an anthology right mm-hmm. like how long does that frame story take yeah and how long do the and even in like how long do the stories take right 
I get you, and I don't. I don't disagree. Yeah. So that's that's sort of her biggest point. But I think some of the other ones I read were a lot more negative in a in a really annoying way. Um, what did it say? More of them were like, oh, it's a, it never it never achieves scary. Like they talk about how like oh all this tension is like what it's really about. But they it's a horror movie. It's on Shutter. It should be scarier. And those people aren't paying attention to the uh, to the gender dynamics that are this very very scary thing here. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get into that, but I'm saving that for a finale. Yeah. So there were a couple <laughs> other really great uh, reviews on here. One was from uh, Heaven of Horror by Karina Scream Queen Adelgard. Oh. Or Adelgard, I'm not sure. Um, but she has a quick, she has a nice, quick little article on there that just says how great it is that it's a tiny cast. Uh, that the re- the truly, ultimately scary thing is what how the frame story resolves. Yep. And then Tasha Robinson at Polygon has a much as a longer article, a little more in depth. Um, I'm a big fan of Polygon in general. I think mm-hmm. they do a really good job of uh, of finding and writing finding good writers mm-hmm. and compares it to like a uh, uh, Mark DePlace's Baghead, right? Which is a yeah. similar concept, uh, aspiring actors trying to write a horror screenplay in a, in a remote cabin mm-hmm. um, or Brett Simmons. Uh, you might be the killer. Like it says that like this film is sort of different than those. So it, it's not as grim as Baghead and it's not as like manic yeah. as uh, you might be the killer. And what she points out is like, it's the scares aren't actually the problem here. Like that's the good thing that like that, that's fine. Like, that's yeah. not the issue we're concerned with. The problem's not the right word. That's not what we're looking at. Uh, what we're really looking at is the ride. Mm-hmm. How does the story transport you? Yeah. And I think that is really, really the point here. Yeah. Um, in fact, the the final statement of her article says, even if viewers never entirely lose themselves into these stories, they can at least feel like they're fully in on the joke. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a good thesis statement, is that, like, it is about the ride. It's about how we experience storytelling. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of her... That's her tagline. I mean, that's the tagline of the article is, or the subheader is, it's a story about storytelling and what really scares us. So that's, I think a lot of times we talk about how reviewers often get things wrong. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a whole different conversation about like media criticism. Yeah. And there are things we can talk about, like uh, production, which we, you and I talk about all the time. And you and I are media critics. That Mm -hmm. is what we do here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we can talk all about how the production in this way, that way, direction, writing, acting, lighting, sound editing, all these things. We can talk about how they're successful or not successful. Yeah. It doesn't make the movie. It has to all be there. It's some sort of, I think it's some sort of emergent thing, right? Like I've seen incredibly well done films that I just don't give a shit about. Yeah. Some of the major classics are movies that I just don't find compelling, even though I can admit XYZ is all amazing. Like I'm not a big David Fincher fan. Technically very proficient director and yeah. like filmmaker. But yeah. I just yeah, I just don't find him compelling in most cases. Yeah, and here's what I'll say about this movie. So we we obviously run a segment on this podcast called Horror and Awe where we've yeah. discussed whether something is horror or not. Listen to all of our episodes. I'm proud of most of them. <laughs> Plug. And while we come to conclusions there, it's never I, I feel so I feel like whenever we're we're telling people who do something different that mm-hmm. it's not horror, then that's trying to keep horror in a box. Yeah, it's the wrong kind of gatekeeping. Yes, and I'm and and this movie was like Tosh Robinson said, and you just told us about. You're in on the joke. You're yeah. you're you're going on this ride with these two 
people. Mm-hmm. And this is something different. This is this is horror also putting a mirror up to itself in a way. And being able to pick apart certain stories and get and it and it has opinions like Aya Cash being like, ugh, werewolves. Yes. You know, like it has opinions and it has all of these different it's a different take on what horror could be. It's a campfire story. It's like all of these things where horror's origins lie most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't love when this gatekeeping happens sometimes where people are saying like, this isn't horror, like it wasn't scary. It wasn't, you know, this, it wasn't that. And I'm like, well, first of all, it, it, it truly was scary. And again, I will get into that in a second. Yeah. If you've ever been uh, a moderately successful woman in your field, it's a very scary story. Yeah. Um, or alone with a man. Or just alone with a man. Fuck, yeah. Like, it, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm like refraining from actually getting into my point so that we can yeah, do it in I a know, second. But Sorry, I'm just I'm not like... I'm to jump the gun there. I just, yeah, no. I, just, it's I feel very I strongly. I feel like, very strongly about it. Um, I'm a sizable man. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I've been alone with men and I'm just like, mm, nope, thank you. I am dipping from this situation. It kind of sucks. It's not fun. <laughs> but, uh, so so what I'm what I'm getting at is... Yes, we host a portion of this podcast talking about whether something is horror or not, but that's usually us trying to put it into like a sci-fi or thriller category that it doesn't fall into horror necessarily. This, by saying that this movie that holds a mirror up to horror is not a horror film and because it's a little bit different than your slasher than your psychological like like anything that you could talk about is is a weird kind of gatekeeping that i don't really subscribe to yeah and and i want to make a, a quick point about horror or not it is never about trying to keep things out of the horror canon no it is never about gatekeeping or building fences it's about building tents is, yeah. how, I, is how i put it before i think i've said that a couple times on that show yeah what i am trying to do there is dissect genre mm-hmm. and filmmaking, particularly as pertains to horror. Yeah. But it's meant to, the entire purpose of it is to meant to be a conversation about what we call horror and why we call it that. Yeah. Not to keep anything out of the canon. Yeah. I never go, I never, ever, ever, like I've had requests from multiple people who really want to be on the show who bring me movies that... I don't feel comfortable talking about not because I couldn't decide whether or not they are horror, but more because I can up front. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple films that I'm just like, people brought me, brought them to me and I'm just like the, the where you're coming from this, even though you don't think it is, is mean spirited. Yeah. I don't want it to be about gatekeeping. I know it sounds like that because it's, you have to come up with a quick and snappy title and I didn't get past your version of the title <laughs> and that's my own fucking fault. Um, but it is not about gatekeeping. It is about building a bigger tent. And I think that's really what you're getting at here, too. Yeah, yeah. It's about building the tent. Exactly. And I don't... Yeah, just understanding I don't... things. Like, it, like, understanding is not gatekeeping. It is not saying, like, oh, you can't be horror because you're this. There's plenty of movies that I would put in the horror canon that most people would not. Yeah. But... I Yeah, I just don't... I don't like the idea of stifling someone's creativity by saying this isn't a horror film. It's like, okay. 100%. That's really all I'm getting at is we should not just be sending out these horror films like like it's from a factory. I don't want oh, to God. see no, another. We've talked so much about that. 
I don't want to see another Halloween. I don't want to see another The Thing. I don't no. want to see, I don't want, because they are, because they already exist, and yes, you can take that as, like, a nice framework, and, and, and most amazing contemporary horror films definitely reference those, but... Hardcore. Jordan Peele loves those films. Like, <laughs> 100%, and his films are, like, oh my god. Yeah, but um, they're clever and out of the box. That's what I'm, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just because something is different and holding up a mirror to your beloved genre does not mean that it doesn't belong in the genre. Hell, he made Invasion of the Body Snatch feel fresh oh my god yeah i love it like goddamn, that's uh, clever but that's using all of those things and that's building the tent of horror we do it yes. slowly people think that creativity and like genre ba- genre breaking stuff or genre bending things are these big out loud explosions they're not they're small little differences mm-hmm. it's oh well what if we just had a slasher what if that's just what we did now yeah Halloween, right? Yeah. What if there was this really tight film that's basically 12 Angry Men, but no one knows who the villain is? That's the thing. Yep. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. That's It's just tweaks. Building the, thing the tent is, is just good, 12 Angry Men. Yeah. yeah. But horror. Yeah. Building the tent. And also, I mean, the reason that we even got into horror in the first place is that we like that sort of gothic thing of taking a perfectly happy like fine story and just twisting the knob a little bit to the left yeah. and just being like well what if one of them was a mass murderer yeah like Fuck, whoa the witch could have just been a period piece about life on the frontier in the 17th century yeah it wasn't and it's awesome because it wasn't that yeah probably also would have been pretty good if it was that you know like that's an interesting yeah. story to tell yeah but it's yeah so yeah, fuck anybody who says it's not. This isn't horror. Um. <laughs> it one hundred percent is. Fucked. <laughs> is it? Is it time for me to tell people why? Okay. Yeah. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we dive in? Okay. This so. session's just titled "Men Are the Worst." <laughs> I'm. Yeah. I'm trying. I took quite a few deep breaths before this. I feel like I might be having heart palpitations, but I'm just gonna get through it. I should have gotten you some whiskey. Ah, uh, yeah. So. I have weed. I'm okay. I will be fine. Um, I will make it through. So the reason I feel so passionately about how scary this movie is, is it's it's all of the underlying things. It's again, it's, it's the tension between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Because if you've ever been in a situation where you are alone with someone whose ego is threatened, mm-hmm. particularly those of the, of the male yes, type. Man. Yeah. It can be scary Um, Mm -hmm. and it sucks because it feels like if you are, and I'm going to talk about two things here because there is like the successful side of it. There's Mm -hmm. the successful like, but they both tie into the man thinking, oh, you think you're better than me. They both tie into that idea, which Fred says that in this movie. He says that quite, quite like verbatim. A few times, yeah. And the two ways that this generally happens in the world is a woman is more successful or has a higher ranking or makes more money or you know something than a man their their ego is threatened and this can turn violent yeah in in various versions of it i was gonna say verbally violent uh, in some cases physically violent if the dude is particularly shitty and needs help um yeah the two ways that this happens, yeah, is, 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 is if a woman is more successful than a man and their, egos, their ego feels threatened, or if a woman rejects a man, mm-hmm. their ego feels threatened. Mm-hmm. What, you think you're better than me? And then that often turns physically violent because the, the implication is that 
they were about to get physical anyway and the mm-hmm. woman rejected them so it gets it it automatically kind of turns into this vulnerable situation and right. and it sucks because it is forced so many so many people into doing what they don't want to do yeah because they're scared for their life or their career or their emotional yeah. status or their marriage or what have you. Like there's, there is something being threatened. Yes. Um, and that is not always necessarily a physical violence, but it is some sort of, yeah, what you're, what you're saying is, yeah, it's not necessarily physical yeah. violence, but it could be emotional. It, it could, could yeah. be verbal. It could be uh, uh, career threats. It, you know, yeah. like all of these sorts of things. Absolutely. Exactly. So what, and it, and it's always just someone living their own lives or doing, working hard Trying to succeed in the capitalist to, system. Yeah, trying to succeed in some way. And someone comes along and feels threatened by that. And they can't handle it. They can't emotionally handle that idea that someone could be more successful than them. And that's mm-hmm. why in this movie, Fred keeps... When Fanny starts... Is a literal mirror. I'm not even saying anymore that she's holding a mirror up to yeah, him. Because yeah, yeah. she's not... She is kind of antagonizing him in a way, but she's, even if she wasn't, by her just merely existing, he feels threatened. Yeah. I've got some notes on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why this movie is scary, guys. Yeah. If you've ever been in a situation remotely like this, it's it's relatable and it's terrifying if you actually think about it. Yeah. I mean, I can say from my own experience, I have... I have had physical and emotional and career and yada, yada, yada threats from men and shit like that. Um, Yeah. And it's a consistent thing that happens and women experience it the most by and large. Yeah. A hundred percent. But you know, it's um, being a queer man or being a man who works with other men. Uh, Not at my current workplace. Thank God. Wonderful, wonderful, non-toxic people. Yeah. Um, Shout out to all of you beautiful people I work with. But you run into this, and it's a general sort of ego thing from people who who engage in any measure of toxic masculinity. It's the, that phrase that exactly. we use, and that's why we call it toxic because it's not necessarily violence in the so considered, but it is violence. Um, yeah, and that's I think that's what you and I are both trying to get out here. In Always Sunny in Philadelphia, there's yeah. a there's a running joke about Dennis liking boats and having women on boats. Yeah, and he's not going to hurt them, but there's the implication. He never says what the implication is. But he keeps saying that. Yeah. And it's it's a running gag that is a fine point. Like, there's a theory that Dennis is, in fact, a tr- full-on serial killer. Yeah. Um, because he does all these things, and he does not like women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does all... Like, it's it's a really, really well-written piece. Yeah. Like, the, the way they develop all the characters in the show, fantastic. I can't say enough good things about the show. But that is one of the things that, like, the, the actors have talked about with the development of all their characters. Yeah. It's, like, the way... Glenn Howerton plays Dennis is like, yeah, no, he's a fucking monster. Yeah. And he is trying to hold the, like, much like I Cash does in this movie, he's trying to hold the mirror to men to be like, this is what you're like. Yeah. This is, a, this is a satirical, like, big, loud version of it, but recognize the small things in your life that you do that are kind of fucking like this. That's yeah, the, that's exactly what I, that's more or less what you're saying here. Yes? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, sorry, I got a little intense there. It's a dark place to go. But it's it's true, and that's what this movie is getting about, and that's w- getting at, and that's what I'm just trying to convey that this movie is very scary. Yeah. First of all, it's it's already scary to be in a secluded cabin um, with anybody, especially a stranger. Like we've all seen that movie, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Carla then, makes a joke about it. Yeah. 
But then when you've got such a strong character like uh, Fanny, mm-hmm. who is up until the last minute is like, you're not fucking scaring me, dude. Like she's standing her ground. She's yeah. doing all of these things. She's like, she's like, you're the one who's just like, you know, you're fucked up here. Like, yeah. just give me my notebook and let me go. Yeah. And I can I can say this you know, from my own perspectives of, of, like I said earlier, there's being alone with men sucks. Um, in varying ways. And there are the, the physically dangerous ways, which I've, I've been in those situations. And there's also the like emotionally dangerous or at least emotionally taxing ways of yeah. being alone with men. And like I've been around men who I've been more than successful then. And it's like this. Of course, it's not, I'm not alone in a cabin about to be, have an attempted murder happen with someone who yeah. probably also attempted to murder his wife. Exactly. But, that's the thing here. That's, you know, that's part of the suspense of this movie. Yeah. I did want to point out a few things that I just really like about how they develop both of these characters. I think both the characters are incredibly written. The main characters. Oh, yeah. Carlo also is amazing, but we're talking about the two, our two leads here. Yeah. So there's a sort of, we see both of them tell the truth about themselves Mm -hmm. throughout this. I will say, I don't super like Fanny. I would hang out with her. I would hang out with her. I think she's a douche. And I, I like I, it. And, no, no. And here, I, I want, there's a there's a more finesse point here, right? Like I'm not saying like I don't like powerful women. I love the power that she has. There are sor- certain sort of like fake woke lines from her. Oh, and I think yeah. those are on purpose. Yeah, definitely. She's a white chick who lives in Brooklyn. I was about to say, yeah, yeah it's set up that way. And she's sure. well written for that reason because there mm-hmm. is depth to her character. She's not just a two dimensional character of the powerful, successful woman. She's a three dimensional character. She sucks in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um. And she does antagonize him for seemingly no reason other than that he sucks. Yeah. It's for her own entertainment. She's getting joy out of it. And that's a little fucked up is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess we can dive into like some of the notes I took about just actions both of them have taken. Yeah. Um, that I think are really interesting. Just the character notes, you know, like a, it's fun for me to dissect character too. You're not the only one who gets to do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're please. not better than me. No, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, it's happening. No. Fuck. I'm newly single. Oh yeah, yeah. You can find me on 4chan. <laughs> I think she even calls him an incel at one point. No, it's something like that, though. I think she calls him a 4chan person or something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's close enough. There's, yeah. Bowels of Reddit asshole, something. Some sort yeah. of insult in that vein. Totally. Totally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please give me your give me your notes on this. Because, I mean, these characters are, like we said, very well developed. So. Yeah. So the first character note we get is that... Fred is bored of Patina, which fair. Patina's obnoxious. <laughs> Especially after you've just traveled. Flown from LA to New York and are taking a long car ride to like they shot it in Woodstock. Also, why did he go all the way to New York to He needed get... to be in a snowy cabin. Uh, there's so many snowy cabins on the way to New York from California. Yeah. There's literally just a bunch in Tahoe. He could have literally gone to Canada, <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you go to Toronto? But right after he beats Patina and just blows her the fuck off, like he is an absolute dick for her to her, does not tip her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, sorry, you don't have money for tip. And I can't tell if that's because of his thing about like, this is all of his money, basically, to do this, right. to take his one shot on himself. He's feeling like Marshall Mathers over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he doesn't tip her. Right. He does tip Chris Red. And uh, first of all, it's Carlo, and he's even like, "Oh no, nice tip, thank you, man." And like, it seems like a genuine delivery line delivery. Yeah. But 
the second we see him get writer's block, what's the first thing he does is look up the story of Korra, the rebel who rose up to against Moses. Which is what Bettina talked to him about. Uh-huh. Now, granted, her started getting in. She wanted to send it to James Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> it's like, you know, the guy who did Titanic? But from the Titanic films. Yeah. <laughs> More than one. Hey, I mean, it, it was, was two VHSs. I was just going to say, yeah, it was two VHSs. So, so yeah. splitting hairs, but say, Yeah. I'm... <laughs> um, but yeah, hers ends up including like androids and shit. And you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I'll watch it. <laughs> you know. Moses versus androids versus lady. Down. Uh, <laughs> but then he starts, uh, we see later that like he tries to steal from her, not only in like researching what this story is about, but then he brings it up to Fanny as if it's one of his own stories. Yeah. So steals from a woman, even Already. though he later gets pissed at a woman from steal- for stealing from him. And that's in the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, man. He then, so then we also see like a, there's a, the, one of the threads that runs through this is that Fanny is more competent than Fred. In every way. Like I, so flyers, I'm so glad you at, brought yeah. this up. Yes. Yeah. I, oh man. Yeah. I wanted to bring this up too. Cause there's even when she, he doesn't know his own address at this place and she finds it on a piece of paper. That he walked in, right past. That he walked right. <laughs> there's so many little points like this and I love it continue sorry yeah so that's that's a great one to bring up and it's one i actually hadn't written down but that's a great great one to bring up yeah uh there's also and there's one of my favorite ones is the fire starting scene yeah so you need kindling bro so yes the kindling um (laughs) so he's sitting there just trying to fuck around in the fireplace like he knows what he's doing because she asked him why he didn't make a fire he's like oh oh yeah i was just getting to that and he wasn't um he was gonna drink beer till he passed out so he in freeze to death, which would have been a much better ending of this movie, just like The Shining. So <laughs> he, she comes over, she says, "Oh, you need kindling." I have a theory. Give it to me. Kindling represents putting in the work. He just wants to put in a bunch of logs and start a fire. She understands that you have to do the small things to get to the big things. Ah. I'm a writer. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I know how to tell stories. Details. Details. Then it comes. That's the next one. The details of the stories. Oh, he I didn't even always, mean to do that. <laughs> yep. And it's it's a constant. It's one of my favorite motifs throughout this film is all of the moments of details. The address is details. The kindling is details. The literal asking for details of a fucking story <laughs> is details. Is details. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to get to, from A to A prime to A to, to B to B prime. Like he doesn't yeah. know how to make those steps. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to plot. He doesn't know how to tell a story. He thinks that an idea is a story. We pointed that out earlier when we were talking about the plot. Yeah. As he goes, uh, werewolves have guns, get revenge, question mark. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what he thinks a story is. Yeah. That's not a fucking story. That is an inkling, a seed of an idea that you play with and you work at and you write. Yeah. So he doesn't get that. And he this is what she puts the fine point on it during the final confrontation. Absolutely. You have to put in the work. He's accusing her of having things handed to her because he ignores the small things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see the small things. He doesn't see the details. He doesn't see the small thing of like, oh, if I try to run down the stairs holding a sharp fireplace poker, I might trip and have it go through me. Which ends up killing him. Yeah. <clears throat> so like, yeah, we, we can dive into some of the stories, right? So the first story, mm-hmm. werewolves, have guns, get revenge. Question mark. <laughs> so he, she keeps pushing every details. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
And the more she presses him, the more he starts doing the work and she starts getting engaged in the story. Now, I would never, ever, ever watch this movie. It's a shit movie. Yeah. But he starts throwing in details and the story becomes more engaging. And this is a really cool thing with the editing and the production of this. Mm -hmm. So from the sound to the cinematography to the actual production design of this. Yeah. This is where this gets really cool. Once he starts giving details, we start seeing, we didn't talk about this at all. The stuff comes alive a bit. Yeah. Which is where I thought this was going to go. Yeah. That they ended up getting attacked by their stories. Like they were they like yeah. they generated the stories, right? Yeah. Which would have been cool. Completely different movie. I like this as as it is. Yeah. Not I'm not giving notes. Yeah. Just where, just that like that's where I thought it was gonna go. So like there's a point where he becomes the werewolf. Mm-hmm. We see a werewolf hand stretch out. Yeah. And then it's him. We see like yeah, like every, like when uh, he starts describing the gun, and we hear the the revolver, uh, the sh- the shells clatter. Right, it shows you the power of good storytelling, exactly, or at least competent storytelling. Yeah, right. Which is where she's trying to get him. Yeah, to. she's trying to get him to baseline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that's that is when everything starts coming alive. That's a yeah. good point. And every time, so then we can go to the troll story, right? He does the good voice work. He sounds exactly. just like Gollum. <laughs> yeah. And then he, the voice changes and becomes something else where he's yeah. not copying, copying anymore. Yeah. He's um, he's creating. Mm-hmm. So it's start. that's how writing works a lot of times. I rip off shit all the time in my notes for my stories. And they start as basically straight ripoffs. And then they develop. And then I change things. And I change things. And I change things. And I start discovering story reasons. Why would a character do this? Why would this happen to a character? What are the, like rules of this universe the things you discover like she presses him about the rules of the troll right yes and what's so unfortunate about fred himself and what i just talked about with the fragile ego thing is that he can't get to the point where he's just taking advice from this super successful author this is almost like a master class that she's he's, providing she's him for him. for free well for booze yeah <laughs> there's but, a minor exchange here but still she's like she uh, it's 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 just kind of crazy he won't even let himself take this advice from someone who is clearly a very good writer and he's trying to help him because she's yeah, bored she's but she's bored, trying but, to help him yeah and it's i, I want to put in the detail that he keeps harping on that the fact that he paid for the pizza like that right some yeah he sort paid of... for the pizza you're drinking my booze and he yeah. he sees it as and this is the, a point i bring up a lot and i've said the phrase already on this podcast yeah this episode Collaboration versus competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hate working with or near writers who think that everything's a competition, who are precious and selfish with their ideas. Unless there's a reason to be so. Yeah. If we're talking about something and you want to talk about ideas, collaborate with me. Yeah. If you asked me to do it, right? I'm not mm-hmm. saying like, I'm not offering collaboration on in this scenario. Mm-hmm. This is someone who's like, I didn't say like, oh, let me. Do you ever want to like work together sometimes? Let me let me help you out. I'm saying no, no. no. Someone asked me. Hmm. To help them, right? Yeah. And I've had that happen. And it's most often been with uh, cis men. But it is a thing of like, and I think this is there's a lot of great work that I'm not going to fully reference right here because it's a whole nother series of episodes and, uh, you know, getting a, a doctorate in, in gender studies and all that shit, which I don't have. But I know people who do, and I research people who do, and I read their work. And a lot of what they talk about of like the source of toxic masculinity is the idea of competition versus collaboration. He sees this storytelling night as a competition. Who can tell? Yeah. He says that even. He's like, who can tell the better story? Yeah, and she That's sees how he it the opposite it. way. Exactly, because yeah. she starts helping him because he can't get his fucking shit right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it just... He even asks for free work from her because he won't pay for her book to read it. You know, like, yeah. that's, he wants to hear this great story of Venus. Which is, like, so such a shitty way of saying, like, it's yeah. so it's so mocking and shitty. And but, all of his, yeah, sorry. No, it's just it's it just sucks for him. He does he clearly cannot put his ego aside for for one night to try to become a better writer. Yeah, He's, he won't learn. Yeah, and again, it's just he doesn't want to put in the work. Yeah, and I I had that mindset for a long time of like, no, I've got to be better. That like with with college professors and shit, I'm like, no, of I've course, got to prove how good I am. And it's like, no, we're trying to teach you. That's the weird Work thing about with me art to help you. <laughs> That's the weird thing about art and academia. Yeah. That's. Another and it was conversation just, in, in philosophy when I was taking those courses, like it was, uh, it, I always thought I had to be better than the professor, better than the the author I was critiquing or something like that. I was like, no, 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 no. why don't you like synthesize your shit? Yeah, <laughs> not to get all Hegelian about it. That's right, I took philosophy, but that's sort of what I'm talking about. Yeah. So one, of the, and I think just to bring back the Venus thing real quick, he brings it up, and he, I think the entire reason he was begging her for it was so he could shit on it. Because yeah. the first thing he says when they're done, and like Carlo and Fanny are panting. Yeah. They have put their heart and soul into this cocaine fueled retelling of her. 100%. <laughs> of 100%. Her and the first note he says is so, is, oh, so they're vampire zombies? Yeah. And he, she's like, that's not even the fucking point, dude. You missed the point. He's like, well, mm, I don't see it. And she's it, like, well, you fucking don't see it. Like, get fucked. And he does it just to shit on it and doesn't even offer a real critique. Well, and then he, when she's um, doing her whole uh, improvisation, um, he's he he's basically parroting her and says, you know, like details, and she's like, "Don't interrupt me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When she's telling the grandpa story, yeah, she's giving him details, and he's like, "What details? Details?" She's, she's like, "She's like, uh, don't interrupt me." Didn't ask for notes. Yeah, no, <laughs> stop. Um, so the final the final bit is we should talk about is when he changes his story. Yeah. The so the initial story he gives her when and, and so like we we talked about the fucker flight thing too. So they have a moment where they almost kiss, and that's when Carlo shows up because mm-hmm. she actually likes him at that point because he's getting into it, he's doing the work, he's yeah. having fun. Then she finds out all that shit about him, or yeah. that happens before. But he freaks then, out. Yeah. yeah. So the freak out happens, and she's like, "Okay, well, you know, we've all made mistakes. Fine. The dude's doing the work. He talks about it. he's been in therapy. He's he's putting in the work on his life. Right." Which is what he says he's doing. Unclear if that's true. Maybe it is, maybe it is true. Like I think it's both is the answer. But I think he glides over the parts of him that are bad still, and the bad bad how bad the bad things he did were. And then yeah. we start seeing that when he confronts her with the notebook and the poker. Yeah. And he says like, "Oh, you wanted me to scare you. Isn't this what you wanted?" And it's a very rapey scene, right? I hate it. This yeah. is it, it's a great. It's super well done. Yeah. It just made me. I was. You saw my back. I was sitting at the table and it's like. Ew. But yeah. It's, it's him saying like, "Well, this is what you wanted. You can't change your mind now." Ugh. Sorry to put the fine point on it, but that's what the point of the scene is, right? Like it is yeah. the power that men try to wield over other people that they see themselves as wanting to conquer or be with it's the uh it's the climax that we all expected to happen but we're really dreading because again that's super the well executed, whole yeah because again that's the whole um scary part of this movie is you you know this dynamic again yeah. it's 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 probably one of the most relatable situations unfortunately yeah um, he, he talks about how he lost his temper maybe one or two or three many times. 
Yeah. Maybe you cheated on your wife. Maybe you said you'd be better. Maybe you started to be, but it didn't land and blah, 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 blah. And he's offering up all this, like, he's doing it as if he's not this person. He's saying, he's like, oh, one last story. Let's do it. Yeah, and he recaps, like, his whole basic, basically his whole mental state and why he's in this mental, up to this point. And that's really when the uh, terrifying stuff comes to a head. Yeah. And when he, the, the final thing on that is that when he is dying, he's like, I was kidding. It was just a joke. I was kidding. No, you weren't. No, no. And it's even more telling that Fanny feels bad for him. Yeah. In this moment, she says she's sorry to him. Yeah. Which is again. It's, yeah. It's just it, really well fucking written. It uh, is. Good on you, Josh Rubin. <laughs> it is. Because again, it's like an, it's, it's like, it's, it's too, it's too upfront to be considered an allegory, but that word keeps swimming in my head because it's allegorical in nature, absolutely. Yeah, because Most her saying is. her saying sorry, God, how many times? If I if I if I tweeted something right now saying like this tweet, if you've apologized for rejecting someone for sex, yeah, how many likes do you think I would get? Oh, I mean, <laughs> you should never it's just yeah apologize for telling someone that you don't want them to touch your body. Yeah. Better yet, like uh, apologize to a man for hurting you. Exactly. Again, if if I tweeted that, I'm sure I'd have billions of likes. Yeah. <laughs> it's most of the planet. Um, yeah. It's, it's wild. So I, I just love that, that like this, this movie that is not scary up until this point. It's fun. Yeah. It, I would totally watch that Deal with the Devil Singer film. Movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would watch the shit out of It'd that. It'd be so fun. That would be great, uh, especially if that song's in it. But It was dope. Yeah. But the, the, final, the final story is a movie that I would watch, and it is this movie. It's the plot of Scare Me. Yeah. Is the final, is the final story. It's, it's a little up its own ass in that way, but it just it manages to avoid it by super skillful filmmaking. Agreed. Fantastic acting. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I can't recommend this enough. I, uh, it's not your gore fest. It's not, uh, there's nothing supernatural to it. It is a straight up and down, cool little take on what an anthology horror film is. Well, and I think this is why Shudder picked it up. I think Shudder is the perfect um, streaming service to show this type of film because if you already are so well-versed in horror, which usually if you have a subscription to Shudder, you are. Um, you're one of one of us uh, freaks over here. Uh, Welcome, babies. You, yeah. Um, club's fun. Uh, but you, you're already well-versed enough to be able to take in this, this mirror that it holds up to yeah. um, horror and, you know, just... That that simple story of sitting by a campfire or 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 going to a cabin and the power goes out, then what happens? Yeah. You know, it's fun. It's just it's it's fun. I would I would definitely recommend this movie. It's fun until it's fucking horrifying, <laughs> and then it's really good. Totally, it's no longer fun is, at the end. It is not fun at the end. But. Which is why I say it is up and down a horror film. Yeah, there is dread. There is um, tension. There is you know abound. There there's like <laughs> there's so much shit. Yeah. So yeah, I think that about that does it wraps for me. us yeah. up. That I does just, it I, for I me. I fucking love this and I can't recommend it enough. This is not an ad for Shudder, by the way. We just are mentioning them because they are a production company here. Yeah. If you want to sponsor us, y'all. <laughs> we love you. I would love another six bucks a month back in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. 
Um, also, thank you again to Ryan for uh, recommending this to us. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, any other recs, guys, just send them our way. You know where to find us. We are at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram, at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, and we are at HorrorBabesPod.com. We do check DMs on all platforms. So, uh, yeah, check us out. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please go over to iTunes and give us a nice little rating. Uh, we want to continue putting out content for you guys, and the ratings really help us do that. Yeah. Also on Stitcher, I think it's the only other place you can rate. I don't think you can on Spotify. No. Well, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just iTunes and Stitcher, but please. Yeah. And, you know, we also have our, we host our RSS feed on SoundCloud. You can also uh, follow us there. Yep. Um, 100%. So, yeah. Thank you all so much. Yeah. And thank you again to Seth Haken for uh, our amazing theme song. It's so good it's my it's my new hype music (laughs) um but yeah anyway we will uh see y'all next time bye Bye, babes babes. (laughs) see y'all next time hey babe yeah babe